to the latest episode of the Tech Turt Podcast. Today, we are going to discuss the thing online that everyone loves to hate, and that is advertising. While people have bitched and whined about advertising for ages, there seems to be something in the air lately making advertising even more ripe for mocking. Just a few weeks ago, Jerry Seinfeld, upon accepting an award from the advertising industry, used the opportunity to mock the entire industry. I just want to enjoy the commercial. I want to get the thing. We know the product is going to stink. We know that. Because we live in the world and we know that everything stinks. We all believe, hey, maybe this one won't stink. We are a hopeful species. Stupid, but hopeful. But we're happy in that moment between the commercial and the purchase. And I think spending your life trying to dupe innocent people out of hard-won earnings to buy useless, low-quality, misrepresented items and services is an excellent use of your energy. A few months earlier, Ethan Zuckerman wrote up a piece apologizing for what he called the Internet's original sin, online advertising. In particular... He apologized for creating the world's first pop-up ad while working for Tripod, an early homepage hosting service. The article is incredibly compelling, noting not only the poor performance of ads, but also because of that poor performance, companies who want to show better performance are encouraged to collect tons of data on users using questionable surveillance. In response to the hatred and general ineffectiveness of banner advertising, many in the media world have shifted over to a concept called native advertising, which has many definitions, but is most commonly, if incorrectly, compared to advertorial, in which a publication hands over some sort of editorial function to the advertiser, allowing them to create content that shows up in the same place as a regular non-ad content. Of course, it's not just advertorial. Product placement can be native, general sponsorship can be native, but it's been called advertorial, and many people really dislike it or even fear it. Take, for example, John Oliver, who recently did a whole segment on native advertising, which he mocked ruthlessly. But even, even the New York Times is now embracing this. They had a recent feature on their website about women in prison, which looked like a serious piece of journalism, but was actually a paid post promoting season two of Orange is the New Black. And here's the thing, as far as native advertising goes, that's about as good as it gets. The reporting is real, and the sponsored branding was minimal. But it is still an ad. It's like hearing the one Katy Perry song that you like. You think, sure, this is the best possible iteration of Katy Perry, but it still feels wrong to be listening to this. <laughs> You're gonna hear me roar <laughs> louder, louder than a lion. It's a good song. It's a good song. There's a 12-year-old girl inside me who is empowered by that song. <laughs> the, the problem is, the problem is, the problem is sponsors aren't always going to be as benign as Orange is the New Black. Sometimes it's going to be a company like Chevron, 
who recently sponsored a piece in The Times about how our energy needs are changing. And spoiler alert, the notion that they're changing because we f***ed up the earth thanks to companies like Chevron is not the conclusion of the article. And while I find that I almost always agree with Oliver, on this I have to push back. Not because he's wrong that ham-fisted native advertising is horrible, but for the fact that he assumes that all such advertising is likely to be just so ham-fisted. Much of it is that problematic, and that is the real problem. But it's important to separate out bad, ham-fisted execution from the underlying idea. Good, well-done advertising can be beneficial to everyone. Some people automatically or even reflexively push back on that claim, but it's true. People love good advertising. The number of people who watch the Super Bowl for the ads or those who watch them all on YouTube later show that this is true. Those ads are entertaining, and they match what the target market is actually looking for. So I think it's time that we redefine native advertising not as hideous advertorial, but rather as advertising that is also content that people actually want. On TechDirt, one of the most visited posts we did last year was a sponsored post, but it was written by us on a topic that our audience cared about. And while it was clearly marked as sponsored, not a single person cared or commented negatively on that fact. The thing that people fear and worry about is trickery. Nearly all of the complaints about native advertising, including in the John Oliver piece, are about how people are somehow tricked into looking at an ad that they think is not an ad. To me, that would not be good advertising at all. Good advertising has to be clear, and it has to be content that people want by itself, even when they know it's advertising. In fact, we found that when done right, people will even celebrate or thank the advertiser for supporting content they love, but it has to be done right. And yet, whenever I suggest this, I still have people who reflexively argue that no, advertising must be bad. We see new services like Ello come on the scene with a pitch that they won't have any ads and people get excited. We hear people say things like, if you're not paying, you're the product even though some of the most hated services in the world are the ones that we actually pay for, like your cable service or your cell phone service. So I'd like to discuss this idea that what we need to do is get past the idea that all ads are bad and rather focus on the fact that bad ads are bad and that there's a better way to do advertising by making content that people actually want. Here to discuss this with me once again are Hirsch Reddy and Dennis Yang. Hey, how you doing? All yeah, right, how are you? So, am I crazy? Are all ads bad? Well, <clears throat> I don't think we could say all ads are bad. However, um, I, I, I sort of lean more towards John Oliver when, when it comes to advertorials. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a scenario in which an advertorial would be something that is non-deceptive and, and still genuine and still has the same amount of integrity as a non-sponsored story. Um, I think if, if you could probably convince me that there's, there's, give me an example of a piece of content. So for example, right, so the post that we had on TechDirt that was a sponsored post that got a lot of attention was um, a story by uh, a, an advocacy group called the App Developers Alliance. What they had done is they had interviewed a startup entrepreneur who was facing um, a lawsuit from a patent troll. And it was a video in which he talks about the fact that he's had to hire more lawyers than engineers for his startup. And we put that video up with a discussion about it and the problem of patent trolls and the need for patent reform and all that. And it was all very clearly sponsored. They had created the video and 
it was all noted that it was them. And it was a really interesting story that people liked. See, I still have a problem with it. In, in that case, it's not the content because we, we both happen to agree with the message that's coming out there. Here's what I, I think the problem is. Let's say we've got a big portal with millions of people coming to the portal. You know, I don't know what your numbers are, but I'm, I'm sure it's pretty high. And that specific story is a story that I think you would have run on an ordinary day with or without sponsorship. Sure. So there's like this, there's this thing, like why would a sponsor pay for something that might be surfaced anyways? So the feeling in the audience is, is a little bit of skepticism. Like what does that buy you in addition to the coverage that Mike Masnick would give you anyways? Because he's interested in this. Obviously every patent story you do isn't, isn't a sponsored story. Right, but, but I mean there's a scarcity, right? I mean we see you know, probably 300 to, to 500 stories a week that we would like to do, and yet we publish about 60 to 70. So, you know, would we have gotten to that story? Maybe, maybe not. So, you know, the one thing that that does in that case is it effectively pushes it to the front of the line and says, you should definitely do this story. And so we did cover that story. Right, but I, I think that's the fine line that people are concerned about, right? Like, Which sure. is essentially, are you still genuine to what you would have said anyway, or... Is the advertiser somehow paying for a perspective? Right. right. And, you know, from, from my perspective, it, you know, I, I think the trust of our audience is kind of the biggest thing for us. And so if we were doing posts like that, that suddenly started to talk about, like, you know, patents are great and, you know, yay, patent trolling, I, people would call us out on it immediately and it would become really clear. And so, you know, we would never do a sponsorship campaign like that because that's, you know, that would, that would destroy everything, right? Right. I mean, it feels like more along the lines of something like an endorsement, right? So, sure. like, you know, Mike, I know you are a fan of a number of technology products, and you would happily stand behind, you know, telling everyone that you liked, you know, certain watches or phones or whatnot. Um, and the fact is that people trust you, and they trust your voice, and they hopefully trust who you're working with, right? Which is what right. you're trying to capitalize I'm on. I'm going to tell you, though, as a consumer, I'm actually in the market right now to replace my aging DSLR with another camera, right? It might be a mirrorless camera uh, this time. And so I'm, I'm actually reading a, lot, a ton of reviews. I'm watching a lot of YouTube channels. And there are certain channels that don't have the disclaimer that says we didn't take money from Sony or Canon or Nikon. Right. And then there are other ones that just prominently say, hey, look, we never take any money. Right. And we, this is, you know, I, guess which channel I trust a lot more. And there's definitely right. those channels that, that even though they, they, they don't say that they're sponsored, I don't know if they get free cameras or something like that, but, right. but they're, they're very much fanboys of one or the other. But that, know, right, the but brands. that, I mean, again, that goes back to the point that I made, which is that that involves trickery, right? And so, I think that there's this feeling that anytime you're doing advertising, it's going to at some point involve trickery. And I think that you can get beyond that, right? Where things are really upfront and things are clear. And so, you know, the other thing, going back to the App Developers Alliance, the other thing that they get out of that is not just that we ran that story, but that it was clearly done by the App Developers Alliance. And so we're highlighting the fact that they agree with TechDirt and therefore the TechDirt community recognizes that that is a group that they should pay attention to as well. So they get you know, branding benefits from that as well. Beyond just having their, their video and their story show on the site, it actually helps them because our audience then says, oh, this is, you know, this is an interesting organization. And that's why in those cases, you know, we're not going to do that with an organization that we don't trust and we don't think our community should trust, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about something like reviews, reviews are a different thing, right? Reviews are, 
you know, th- that gets into really sketchy territory and people are definitely worried about that. But again, you know, when, when people are getting free stuff or getting paid for reviews, then there's trickery involved, right? Right. I mean, I think the, the inherent kind of confusion, I think, when advertising applies as a business model is I like to, to kind of compare it to a three-body system in physics, right? With a two-body system, it's very, you, can, you can predict basically the motion of that system. But once you have three bodies that are connected with a string, that's what's called chaotic motion. <laughs> and essentially, the advertising business model is advertisers, the publisher, and the audience. It's three parties. And of course, it can work well together. But at the end of the day, I think that's that kind of, kind of you know, uneasy feeling sure. that it, it places into well, the consumer's and, hearts. And I think it's, right? it's completely fair to say that in most cases, that, that relationship gets messed up, right? Yes. And so it's easy to get from the point where you say, because it is in most cases, I'm just not going to trust it at all, and I'm going to say that all advertising is bad. Right. Part of the argument that I'm trying to make is one to push everyone, and that includes the advertisers and the publishers, towards better, more transparent advertising where they're really clear about it, and they're looking for cases like those examples that I gave where there's, it's all about creating content that actually makes sense for the community that the community is going to like and that everyone is in agreement is a, is a good thing. Right, and I think that what we're gaining from it is it allows certain things to exist that in you know otherwise would not have a business right. to exist. Right. So a simple, straightforward system would be, you know, consumers of tech dirt content would pay right. for tech dirt content, and it's, I don't think that's some of them do, but and some of them do, and you know, Consumer Reports they are very adamant about not having advertisers, and they right. they create a product, and that's the type of product that is created in that system. Right. So you know, I just think it's interesting, and it's it. I, mean, I agree with you in that we can't throw out advertising as a whole, but we do it. You know, how do we actually get publishers to act in a good way? Like, what what are the what are the things that they should do? Right. And there was like you know, I mentioned in the in the opening that you know, that social network, Elo, that got all this attention and they were wanted to be sort of the Facebook without advertising. And, you know, in their terms of service, they basically say, we'll never, you know, do advertising. And there were, you know, a bunch of other stuff and people sort of ran to them like, oh, this is great, you know. And, and that same line comes up again about, you know, if you're not paying for it, you're the product. But, you know, at some point they have to be able to make money. Right, so how are they going to make money? Well, that's not entirely clear. They want to charge extra for, for higher level features. But every time people have tried to do that, then you come across the limitations for that. And Well, let me, let me just step in there when, with regards to Elo. Um, I, I think there's certainly um, there's a universe of possibilities for social networks that people haven't explored. And I'll give you an example of a very popular property online where it's neither advertising funded nor paid directly for by users and it's still worth billions of dollars. It's it's a game called League of Legends and it's made by Riot. And what they you can play the game without paying a cent. Sure. But what they give you is like aesthetic bonuses. Like you you can your avatar has a uniform, you can have a bigger profile picture. Those are the kinds of things a social network could do. Right. But, sure. Right. And and those premium things aren't exactly like a subscription. I, th- I think it's a subscription that users are sometimes allergic to. But, but these little premium buys of, hey, I just want to buy the Halloween skin for my, for my landing page, or I just want to have a bigger profile photo, or maybe larger videos, high-res videos, those kinds of things. I think users are pretty, um, they're pretty open to paying for those kinds of things, right? So it's not quite a subscription. And in a sense, they are paying for the service, but it feels like a different kind of a transaction. But so it is, it I don't is think a freemium. I, it's a, I mean, it's a freemium it product. Is, it, it's a freemium product, but 
it, it's you can't judge it by the failure of previous paid for social networking services like app.net, right? I think there's a possibility that people will figure out a way to monetize online services without advertising. There, sure. there, there is some and, places. And, and, mm-hmm. and nowhere am I saying that advertising is the only business model. In fact, you know, I, I don't think it is. And I encourage people to do all sorts of business models. And we experiment with lots of different business models. But what, what bothers me is this, this idea that advertising has to be considered a bad business model or a dangerous business model or one where it somehow is at odds with the users of the site. And, and that I have a real problem with because... I'll agree with you there. I don't, I don't think advertising is automatically evil or anything but, like that. You know, but, this, but this idea that, you know, that if, if there's advertising that you're the product because they're selling the data on you, you know, I, I, you know, I think that's bad when, when there is too much data collection and too much, you know, there becomes this, this huge focus on, well, if we just have more data... You know, then we can more accurately target the ads, and I, you know, I think that's an exaggeration, and I think that also leads to just that leads to bad behavior on on almost everyone's part because it leads to, you know, excessive tracking. It leads to bad targeted advertising, which just creeps the hell out of people. Right, doesn't make them feel any better, and and it's you know, it's not advertising that they want. It's advertising that they say, wait a second, why are you tracking me to this level? Right. I mean, that said, I think that a, a properly targeted ad is really effective and useful for the end consumer, right? A, a properly targeted ad, but right? So that assumes that you're going to properly target the ad just by collecting all this data. And that might happen, but I don't think they're there yet, right? I mean... And I think there's a difference between properly targeting an ad and being creepy. Right. And I think that we as, you know, in society, when you're walking around, if I don't know, Mike, if I don't know you... And I walk up to you and say, hey, you know, how is such and such? How was your vacation last week? And I knew exactly where you were going. That's creepy because yes. you don't know how I know this. Right. Right. And I think that that is kind of what ad targeting feels like right now, which is why am I being shown this ad and why is it creepily know right. what to show well, me? You know, the so. stuff about location doesn't creep me out as much as 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 like a lot of people. I it, the, the stuff that, that that irritates me with these kinds of targeted advertising is that they track all that stuff and they still don't actually advertise very well, right? Like right. I get, after I buy a camera from Amazon, Amazon shows me more ads for cameras as right. though I just bought one. He must be in the market for more. No, I just bought one. I don't need another one. It happens with shoes. It happens with a lot of stuff. And they're the portal that I bought the item from. They should know I just bought it. I'm not in the market for another one. So that's one kind of bad kind of advertising. But I'll give you another one. Like Facebook is basically advertising driven. And I get shown ads for, hey, do you want to join a school and get a divinity degree? And they have the information on my religion thing that shows that I'm not going to be interested in going to divinity school. I Just mockingly, I've entered into my religion thing. I say that I'm a follower of the Norse religion. Right? That's obviously BS, right? Like how many... Yeah, but you need, you need an algorithm that can uh, determine no, sarcasm. All you have to do is you have to just look and see, does it say the word Christian there? <laughs> like, if it doesn't say the word Christian there, it doesn't have to be like this really complicated regular expression parser or something like that. You know, it's just literally, just look. And, you know, they don't do that much. That's, that's, it's strange when you get those kinds of ads. But uh, I, I don't, if, if an anonymous algorithm kind of knows the, my rough whereabouts, am I in Sweden right now, if I'm in, am I in Northern California, that doesn't, creep me out as much as I think it creeps out a lot of people in the yeah, press. You know, the, I mean, the locations of the general location stuff is not as big a deal. And it's funny, actually, because, you know, my ISP at home is Sonic.net, which is based in Santa Rosa. 
And for some reason, so I always get these ads thinking I'm up in Santa Rosa, <laughs> uh, which is just I'm like, yeah, you guys are not that good at this. But, but you know, but there are other things too where like, I mean, you always see it now where you visit an airline's website or a hotel's website and then suddenly every ad you see right. is for that airline mm-hmm. or hotel and you're like, okay, I get it. You guys are tracking me all over the internet. And that just, you know... Do a search on Amazon, basically. Yeah, exactly. It, it'll come up on YouTube. It's it, crazy. It comes up everywhere. Um, yeah, the, the Amazon advertising is, is incredible, but... Yeah, and I, and I think that, like, retargeting basically is the, the in tactic right now for, for online ads. And I think that a lot of people are seeing it. A lot of people are annoyed with it. And I think there's an opportunity for someone to innovate on the fact that, okay, now that we know you're searching for a flight to Cabo and you're searching for a camera, let's figure that out and actually deliver you an ad that is more relevant than the exact thing you just bought. Sure. And I think that's coming. And I hope that people are working on that. And in terms of, like, for Facebook, like, they know so much about, like, there's so much data about me. I want them to target an ad to me that tells me exactly, like, what I should be looking for I, right now. What would be really valuable to me is them figuring out based on my profiles and preferences these really long tail pieces of content that I can't find for myself. I'm thinking about songs, books, even like consumer goods that I wouldn't even think of buying. Yeah. Like it's every, like they know you yeah. so well, so yeah. use that information. But, but do they really? I mean, I, again, it's just that. I, I, in other words, what I mean is I don't need to be sold a Goodyear tire. I already right. know they exist. And I'm going to go to the tire store and buy the cheapest or best tire, whatever my preference is. What I really want is these little unknown things, right? Like, like, like a, a headphone that has some kind of, you know, longer battery life or, or, you know, like figure out something about me, right? Like I like science fiction books, you know, here's a, a crazy science fiction book from yeah, Iceland the, I mean, that I wouldn't have heard of, like right. something like that. Like, but, but, you know, and there are attempts to do that and right. Pandora tries to like find music that you might like based on this or that. But, you know, I, 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 to some extent, I think that there's this, you know, perhaps over belief that the algorithm will solve all, right? So I'm going to take, let me take a step back from this and say, you know, if you look at, going back to the TechDirt example, I'm not always going to use TechDirt, but that's the one I know the best, obviously. So, right, I mean, if you want to advertise on TechDirt, the idea that you need all this data or that I should have to track my users to understand who they are, and we get these questions all the time about like, you know, what is the income level of the average TechDirt user and all this stuff, and it's like, you don't need to know that because think about what we write about and what we cover, right? I mean, we're covering these, these technology, innovation, policy, legal issues. You can pretty much figure out the type of people who are going to be reading that. And if you're trying to reach that kind of audience, innovators who are interested in policy-related stuff, copyright, patents, innovation, you know, then this is the right audience for you and you don't need all this data. But we're getting to this point where people get so focused on that algorithmic aspect and this idea that, oh, data, data, data will give us the answer and the the ability to do this perfect advertising that we still get hit with that all the time. And I, I, so I'm bothered by that aspect and where people get so focused on on this, the data-driven side of it that they forget the common sense side of it. Yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, but I, I think, well, okay, if you think about the fact that you have a limited amount of, of, of real estate on your website sure. to, to sell to advertisers, right? You have a certain amount of what do you call it in the industry, probably like impressions, say, right? Inventory. Inventory, right. You've got a certain amount of inventory and you're trying to get the maximum price for it as, as the content creator, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the, the most price you're going to get for your inventory is going to be when you can... Uh, almost when, when you can target something 
so well that that the purchase probability is but, high, but right? It's, it's no, it's it's the reverse, honestly. It's it's actually the opposite of that because what happens is the guys who want the data, data, data are also the guys who are trying to knock down the price. They're, it's it's it gets to this whole thing. They're looking for the absolute cheapest ad that they can buy that will get you know mm. the marginal purchase, right? The ones who are willing to pay, you know, what we consider personally reasonable rates, um, you know, are the ones who are just like, oh yeah, you know, this is a cool audience that we want to reach because we understand that you know these things are important, patent reform or you mm-hmm. know whatever it might be that that we understand are important, and therefore we want to reach this audience, and therefore, you know, here take this check, right. You know, I, well, here's the kinds of things I'm talking about. I don't even think you necessarily need a lot of data to mm-hmm. target specific kinds of things. But you were saying, okay, hey, the, our audience comes here because they're interested in tech policy and technology and things like that. I think you can use algorithms to find certain things that are one step removed from that, right? And say like, okay, people who are interested in tech are probably maybe interested in buying a Tesla or they'd probably be interested in buying a smartwatch. You know, going a step beyond... And then once you've gone that step beyond and discovered these categories, going maybe a step beyond that as well and saying, hey, look, I can sell a higher piece of inventory here, not in that great a volume, but maybe a smaller volume for this specific smartwatch that is an open platform smartwatch that is sold from this no-name, kick-started small company. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like you have to do a little bit of processing on the content that's there, right? Sure. And I think that's what I'm more getting at. It's not so much as targeted to the user, so much as targeted to the content. When you say, people who come to this kind of content yeah. are going to be these kinds of users, so target this kind of stuff. Right, and, and I would argue that that would be very effective advertising, right? Because it's not creepy, because it's not about you know tracking all the users and spying on their behavior, but it's recognizing that it's, you know, I'm not saying don't target, right? I'm just saying you don't necessarily have to target, you know, exactly what you were saying, target on the content as opposed to target on the on the users themselves. Because when you target on the users, it's creepy. When you target on the content, then you're going to get a match and it's not going to be creepy and it's going to be things that people actually do want. Right. Right. And I think the difficulty there is finding the right advertisers to match the right publishers. Yeah. Right? And, and, you know, again, this is just, Personal experience, right? So when you're talking to advertisers, when you're talking to advertising agencies in particular, and I'm right. just they usually have one client they're trying to push. Speak negatively about yeah. advertising agencies. And what it is is you well, part of it is that you're just going through, you know, six different levels, right? Because there's like there's the big ad agency, there's the little right, ad agency, sure. there's the digital agency, there's the marketing department at the company, there's, you know, maybe a network that you're dealing with and all of these things. And at some point, no matter how much you can convince someone that, yeah, target the content, do something good that people will like and find it interesting and amazing, what it comes back to is that somebody somewhere in that process, a very junior person who just graduated from college has a spreadsheet. And they're going to pop out and they're going to say, well, I have this spreadsheet and I need to fill in all these numbers. And so I need data on your audience to fill in these numbers and then I'm going to come out with something that spits out something that says that your ads are worth, you know, half a penny or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. And and people get so focused on the data aspect that then you just you, you they there's so much pressure to to do the the creepy things and to to spy on well, your the measurable users. things. I mean, I think that Yeah, but the measurable stuff is often the creepy stuff. Sure, and I think I mean the the advent of online advertising has really brought a lot of measurable and quantifiable metrics to the ad industry. Yeah, but how, so. how much of that is actually useful, right? I mean, you're still back in the same spot that you're at at the beginning where people said, you know, I know that half my, my ad budget is wasted. People still say that. They, they still say it, but I guess there are, there are more opportunities now to measure 
you know, conversion and, and, and user acquisition. And it's a lot, it's still really difficult to measure the efficacy of a brand campaign. Um, but there are more sure. ways to do it now than before. So, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess, but I, I, I'm still not convinced. I mean, I think people, you know, people buy into it a lot more than, uh, than the, you know, than the reality is. And then people think that the data tells them something that it doesn't really tell them in reality. I, I wonder if there's the possibility of an economic opportunity here for a company to basically say, hey, we're in the business of actually uh, asking you to provide us data and what we give you in return is that we will sell your data to advertisers so you get better advertisements. Yeah, I mean, Has there, anyone ever done that? There, there yeah, have been a, about it, attempts yeah. at that and, and it just doesn't work because people... People don't want to do it in the first mm. place, right? I mean, they already have this distaste for advertising. And even though the idea is that if you do that, you're going to get better advertising out of it. I mean, at a, at a very high level, when you sign up for like a mail order catalog, you're essentially asking for that exact thing to happen, right? Yeah, like, or, even, or even something like Groupon, right? Yeah. I mean, no, it's that's a, effectively what you're doing is you're saying, right. okay. Send me, send me things to buy. Or, in this location, yeah. Right. Right. And so, you know, there are cases of that, but, you know, they approach it in a very different way. Right. I mean, the, the thing that I wonder is at some point will kind of advertising outlive its usefulness in terms of we're now in an age where you can find and discover products and goods and services that, you know, without advertising. Right? It's you can, very difficult, I think, though. I but think we're getting there, right? It's better than, say, 20 years ago. No, um, here's what I think, the way the finding process is working. The finding process is such that you get funneled towards the people that are willing to pay the most. If you don't do a bunch of research on your own, I think it's actually, it's, it's, it's fairly difficult to find the out-of-the-way things, right? The most popular books, the most popular music, that's pushed a lot. You actually have to find your way to a subreddit or some sure, other kind but of I community. Think it's much easier to, now than it was before. Sure. Right. I mean, because the, right, like today, communities are popping up everywhere. So you can find a community around anything, whereas that yes. wasn't necessarily the case, you know, even five years ago, but definitely yeah. 20 years ago. I mean, try shopping for a camera 20 years ago and, and discussing all the different options that are, you know, that are not available. Yeah. Like I, product choice is not available. Information is not as available. So we're moving towards an era where. You kind of need to know what questions needed. to ask, though. You need to know sure, what yeah, questions but, but, to ask but, to get to those communities. But even, not, not even so. I mean, the more you research, the more you find them. I mean, whenever I've found like a new product that I wanted to research, you know, as you start researching it, you discover those communities. It doesn't take too long. But anyways, um, we're running out of time, so let's, let's come up with some final thoughts here. And which one of you is more eager to... Um, let me think. <laughs> um, what would be my final thought here? Dennis, you go. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that, that the thought about the fact that product choice and product discovery is more easily accessible nowadays kind of makes me wonder at, at what point marketers will stop focusing on kind of where to place their ads and focus more on how to adequately describe their products. And, you know, I mean, word of mouth advertising is still one of the best ways to do it. And the best way to get good at word of mouth is to build a great product. So right. I, I have a utopian vision <laughs> of a world in which, you know, you really can build a better mousetrap and the world beats a path to your door, which we do know today does not quite happen. Yeah. I think probably the most interesting thing uh, moving forward will probably be, like you guys mentioned, sort of the transformation of perspective of users to sort of 
start thinking about things that are very advertising-like as not advertisements at all, but sort of services. So like Kickstarter surfacing different products to you that you can fund or group on, uh, or even just like something like Goodreads, where you rate a bunch of books, and then Goodreads, which is owned by Amazon, uh, suggests other books for you. And you, you look right. at that as a benefit, not even as advertising. So I think those kinds of things are going to be are really useful. And if someone can figure out how to bring that to content portals... To, yeah. like, to websites, that will be very interesting. Where you almost want to opt into some this this kind of cross portal network because it it services great stuff for you based on all the other content portals you go to. If someone can figure out that, I think I think that'll there'll be a lot of value there. Yeah, and so you know, my final thoughts, just sort of building on, it, is you know that's exactly where I I hope that the world is going. Where it, it's not even that people don't look at it as advertising; it's that. You know, they actually actively seek out this kind of content because it's valuable. And I think that, you know, everyone has to recognize that that's where these things are going, especially on the marketer's side, rather than focus on trying to, to shove an annoying, boring, intrusive message down everyone's throat, figure out the places and the ways that they can present what they're trying to offer you know, to people who actually want it in a format that people actually want it. And then, as you said, people don't even think of it as advertising. But but they have to get over this hurdle where there's this idea that that it's bad and and on the on the user side, you know I, I think to some extent they have to recognize that these things when done right and again with the huge caveat that it's very often not done right that these things can be can be good as well and so you know I hope that's that's where we're heading and uh, you know we'll see but anyways uh, Dennis Hirsch once again thanks for a great conversation. And uh, we'll be back again soon with another Tech Dirt podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I'm inclined to agree. Listen, we live in an age of instant information. So isn't it strange that things have been hidden away from us? Governments think we need to gain their trust. But it's the other way around. Just take a look. Nothing tells us more than more data does. So it's important it's all available to us. Plus, put up for debate and looked at by the public's gaze. Because there's a lot more to be gained from taking on.